Welcome to episode three of the Alec Hogg Show, a half-hour audio biography where we look behind the scenes at the lives of high achievers. Our guest in this episode is 45-year-old Tasha Sedaris. She's the daughter of one of South Africa's leading restaurant entrepreneurs, think Squires Loft, the high women, fishmonger, whose impact on the sector has been even greater than her father's. Like other guests on this show, Tasha was selected on the basis that if her story were captured in book form, it would likely be a bestseller. In her case, her creation, the popular restaurant chain Tasha's, reaches its 15th birthday next week, a double celebration for the family after earlier this month they announced that they've bought back control of the 26-store chain from JSE-listed famous brands. So, eavesdrop for the half hour, and I've no doubt you'll learn a lot more about this globe-trotting entrepreneur who are caught in her ancestral homeland of Greece, where she's on a short break. We started off with the morphing of her full name, Anastasia, into the now famously branded Tashas. It's a Greek name, Anastasia. It's my grandmother's name, and at school it was just a little bit too long, so everyone started calling me Natasha, which comes from Anastasia, and then that got cut down again to Tasha. So everyone calls me Tasha. However, on my emails, people will email me as Natasha. It's quite strange. It is strange, and uh, particularly as you're very famous now, and uh, you've got your name up in, I see, 18 restaurants in South Africa, eight in the UAE. Correct. Are you spending more time now in the Middle East? I am spending more time in the Middle East. I've officially emigrated three years ago to, to concentrate on the business there. Um, my brother Sava runs the South African arm of the business with another very competent guy called Anthony Sklanders. And um, I moved to Dubai to, to actually get the Middle East off the ground. And at the same time, I, I formally did an immigration. Eight restaurants. That's uh, quite a challenge. Last time we spoke, five years ago, you were saying it cost about $3 million to open a restaurant in Dubai. Yeah. So it's a big investment. A massive investment. And we're very lucky to have a fantastic uh, franchisee uh, in Dubai and a business partner. His name's Mubarak Bin Fahad. You know, he really believes in the brands and, and he's been an incredible uh, support. And, and of course, it is a sizable investment, but it's proved to be quite, quite lucrative for him as a franchisee. Let's go back a little. I recall last time we spoke, uh, you were telling me about your late yes. father. And then in the interview somewhere, when I read through it again, you spoke about emerging from being a Greek cafe owner. But were you? Yeah, I mean, Tasha's is what it is because I've been in the food business for over 20 years. Um, and I think the only reason why it was successful is because I literally had my apron on. I'd work seven days a week from six o'clock in the morning, sometimes half past five in the morning, till 10, 11 at night. And I did that actually up until store number 11, 12. And then I'm in the stores all the time. And when a new store opens the first two months, I literally open and close it. Our latest one in Dubai, Avli. I literally open and close that business almost every day. And then I'm lucky enough in the cafes to have a big support team. So I don't have to be opening and closing, but certainly I'm there every day of the week for a good couple of hours. I think that that's critical. Uh, and I think who, who said it, the Airbnb guys, you know, that we read, I read a book called Blitzscale and you got to do it until you can't do it anymore. So for as long as I am able to 
be in the restaurants every single day, then that's, that's what I'll be doing. It's the same with the food. So I developed every menu item and cooked every menu item and trained every menu item up until store number 10. I did it until I just couldn't do it anymore. And then I had to employ a team. And now I taste every single dish before it goes on the menu. That's why I've grown a bit since you've seen me last. <laughs> but certainly, I think it's, it's, it is a key a piece of advice to any entrepreneurs to do it until you physically cannot do it anymore or it just becomes too much of a mammoth task and then you've got to hand it over and delegate. So, yes, I literally was a cafe owner and in some respects I still am. Did you and Sava, your, your brother, is mm. he younger, older? He's younger than me, four years. When you guys were growing up and your father, being an entrepreneur himself, did he bring you into the businesses to, to show you early on or did he keep you away? So he, he kept us away. You know, I, I watched my dad working really hard. Um, you know, we'd only get to see him on a Monday when those days restaurants were closed on a Monday. I don't know if you remember uh, in the old days. And we he'd pick us up from school and then we'd go to um, the doll's house. And we'd get to spend a good amount of time with him on a Monday and maybe catch a movie in the afternoon. But other than that, he was working. So I had always said, look, I'm never, ever going to get involved in the food business. Long hours, you're on your feet, you've worked so hard. But then he opened the fishmonger in Ravonia and I was studying psychology. And he said, come and give it a twirl and do some shifts for some extra money. If you are a type of individual who loves people and adrenaline, and I've been lucky enough and blessed enough to only have worked in, in busy restaurants. But if you are that type of individual, once it bites you, there's no, there's no escaping. And, and that was the, that was the beginning of the journey, as I suppose, was the fishmonger in, in, in Ravonia. I did try and stop. Going. It is, uh, I don't know, that's Ilovo still going, which is oh, Pedro. Mm-hmm. And we helped Pedro open his store and he's an unbelievable operator. Um, and that actually the picture on the wall at the fishmonger in Ilovo is a painting of my dad. That's my father there on the wall. But I think that it's a tough, tough business. And I did try and get out at one point. I thought I'll just continue with my psychology degree or I'll go do something a little bit more different. But you know what? If you love it, you love it. And I'm glad I didn't because here I am today. Do you think you were lucky? And just going back into your story where you opened the first restaurant, being the Nino's in Bedford View, and one of your most uh, ardent customers was Kevin Hedewick, yeah. who I'd love to talk about in a moment as well. Yeah. Uh, but he then clearly spent time with you, saw your talent, mm-hmm. and perhaps pushed you in the direction that you're now sitting in. Do you think sure. the, you were lucky in that way and meeting him, or do you think you would have Listen, got there anyway? I, I think, I think there's, there's a bit of luck in everything. I think that took me in a certain direction. At that point when I had met Kevin and he was a regular at the store, I had already been planning to grow the brand, perhaps not in the direction of franchising. I wanted to own my my own stores and give my managers equity in them, and I wanted them to all be company owned. But certainly, a bit of a bit of luck definitely plays a part in everything. I, I, you know, I never say that you're the architect of your own destiny all the time, but as they say, hard work brings good luck. And I think me working so hard and proving myself in in the food business um, obviously got Kevin's attention, and then we began our journey. And when he brought you into the whole famous brand's enclosure, mm. there were only two stores. We just mentioned Correct. before, there are 18 in South Africa, eight that you're looking after in the UAE. Correct. So that's quite an acceleration. Looking back on it, uh, was it was it a good thing to have done? Well, yeah, I think that the deal was fantastic at the time. And I think that, you know, both of us have contributed to the business in, in the way that we could. But I just think that famous brands is, 
contribution had reached its limits because operationally, you know, we've always been very independent. And I think they helped us lay that solid foundation for the admin and all the controls and the processes and the, and the, and the business plans and the board meetings, which we otherwise wouldn't have had. Uh, but yes, I think it, it was, it was great. I think we learned a lot from each other. I'd like to think that they learned a lot from us as well. And that was Kevin's strength, wasn't it? The processes coming from SAB, which had brilliant uh, managerial operations. He, uh, when I spoke to him in, in bygone years, he said that that was what transformed famous brands, was bringing in the processes. Correct. Uh, but he left in 2016. Correct. Uh, well, left the board in 2018. Did that change your relationship with the company, with famous uh, brands? No, not really, because, um, you know, they've got Darren Healy at the helm, and I, I will always uh, wax lyrical about him. I think Darren's an unbelievable leader, two very different styles of management. But Darren and I got along very well, and he actually became a close friend, and, and I viewed him as a, as a business partner, someone that I could pick up the phone and shoot the breeze with, and I think they've got a fantastic guy there. He's amazing. He's re- he really is amazing. So why, why did they sell their 51% um, share in cashes? You, you know what? I, I had always, always been an aspiration of mine at a certain point when I realized that their contribution into the company had reached its limit. I just went to Darren and said, listen, it, it, it really is a dream of mine to own my namesake. Uh, it is my heritage. It does have my name on it. You know, I'm doing the bulk of the work, and I just think that it's only fair that I get an opportunity to buy the business back. It wasn't an easy negotiation. I don't think they wanted to sell. There were times where I thought, shit, am I doing the right thing by buying the business back? But then, you know, the timing was right, and I was quite persistent in the fact that I really wanted to, to own the business again. How do you feel now, now that the deal's done? I mean, there's obviously a little bit of bittersweet, I think, and, and a bit of nerves. But no, I feel good. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that I own my business. I, I put a lot of effort into it to make it what it is today and a lot of effort into growing Dubai. You know, I went there alone to the region to negotiate in a foreign country and open up all these restaurants. And we built a reputation. We, we a household name in Dubai as well. So I feel good. I mean, it's always a good feeling to be able to buy your business back. And I think... You know, the sky's the limit. We've got global aspirations. We want to we wanna open everywhere. Also, in the same cautious and, and making sure that we are keeping our brand integrity intact, but we certainly see ourselves building a global, a global food business. You're listening to The Alec Hogg Show from Biz News. Again, going back to five years ago when mm. we chatted, you said, okay, a couple of stores in Dubai, maybe one in Abu Dhabi, and then Australia, the UK. Yeah. What put those plans on hold? Uh, so we were ready to press the button um, on um, the UK. Actually, we had quite a few sites lined up, and then, of course, COVID happened. Uh, Australia, we also had one or two sites lined up, and I just felt that in terms of uh, a timeline, uh, Australia was a little bit too far away, and we wouldn't have been able to get the scale that we wanted. But Australia will happen, but it will happen in time. The next uh, phase for us is obviously the Middle East. It's low-hanging fruit. People know us. Saudi, Kuwait, Oman, Bahrain, and then, of course, uh, the UK, maybe simultaneously. It's a phenomenal story already. Thank you. And you're only 45. I'm old. <laughs> and fat. You don't look at put, put too much weight on. <laughs> where, where do you get your inspiration? I'll tell you why. I spoke to Brian Altrich, who I'm sure you, you have engaged with from Rockamamas, yes. and he, yes. he put me in touch with a book written by Danny Mayer called Setting the Table. Now, I didn't know much about your world, but having read that book, it was inspirational for someone who isn't even in uh, the food business. Do you read books like that? I do. I'm busy reading, actually, uh, Starbucks, Pour Your Heart Into It, and and the story of how that started. 
Uh, one of my favorite books is The Art of the Restaurateur by Nicholas Lander. So I do do quite a bit of reading on the on the business front. Um, I try not to get uh, influenced too much by social media. Um, in fact, I don't have Instagram on my phone or my own Instagram accounts. We you know we have our business accounts, which are supervised by me, because I just feel that there's a lot of uh, information out there and you can start getting uh, anxious and then there's too many copycats and everyone's sort of doing everything gets homogenized. So I don't get my, my inspiration from there. I do travel quite a bit. I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to travel. I'm sitting in Greece at the moment, one of my favorite places in the world. And through those travels, you get inspired uh, for interiors and, and for food. Um, and then there's nothing better than picking up a cookbook. Nothing better. You, know, I mean, you, you, you can't beat it. When I started Tasha's in the early days, I used to have a, a Sunday ritual. I'd go to the exclusive books, pull out all the cookbooks, sit there, read them, choose which ones I wanted to buy, and I'd walk out with like 10, 15 cookbooks. You know, when you're looking at a screen and paging through Instagram accounts, it can become very distracting. So I try and stay away from too much social media. And my new cookbook's coming out soon, by the way. So is that number two or number three? Uh, number two. We start working on number three sort of January next year. How did number one go? Really, really well. Uh, I think we were on the bestseller list. We had sold 15,000 copies within a very short time. Classic cafe book, all of the classic recipes, really simple, easy to use. You know, you know anyone, anyone can cook from the book. This next one is a little bit more sophisticated, and it's all about a celebration of food and art. So we've worked with uh, numerous South African artists and some international artists, and each section is themed. Uh, so we've got the Levant Kitchen, the Mediterranean Table, a day in the country, cafe society, a New York state of mind. And then there's art that goes into each chapter with a playlist. So it teaches you how to create that setting in your home with some amazing recipes. So that comes out in October or November, I think. Again, delayed because of COVID, of course. 15,000 copies in South Africa is a best set. Uh, I think we've sold more. Uh, ah, but at, at that point, we had sold 15 when it launched. When you look at someone like Jamie Oliver, love to get mm. your view on it because here you've got a a, a guy who's also um, become a big name. Yes. He's gone into more of the public arena and television and so on. So is that an option for you? And secondly, did you get inspired by his cookbooks? I think Jamie's unbelievable. I think he's very authentic in his approach. Um, I don't think he's pandering to anyone. I think he's you know he just who is who he is as a TV personality. We actually lucky enough to be working with Tessa Graham. She's been with us for about nearly eight years now, I think, and she worked with Jamie for a long time as her brand strategist, and she's on our team. Yeah, I think that definitely some of his cooking inspired us, and he's got some great recipes. Uh, TV, for me, no, I don't, I mean, may, I can't say no, but I don't think so. I think I'm I'm over the hill for, for, for TV. I should have gone into TV before. Plus, I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm on, on the radio with you now, and I'm a little bit more comfortable, but I think um, you've you, you got to be super confident to be on, on TV. And then I think also just to be quite focused in what you're doing. So for us, it's cookbooks. We'd like to go into a little bit of retail, some tabletop. Uh, people love our interiors, so focus on that. And then restaurants, where I think Jamie's model was quite different. He was first the TV personality, cookbooks, uh, homeware, and then he went into into restaurants, which you know subsequently hasn't worked out that well for him in the UK, and he landed up closing a lot of his stores. I think staying focused is also important because I think she's just doing everything. And paying attention to the detail. How much of that is in your DNA? Too much. So, you know, my mother, uh, my late mother, was 
pedantic about detail and she had a little bit of OCD. So we'd be watching TV and there was a, a fleck of dust on the TV. She'd come past and wipe it. And we had in, in, in the flats where we used to live, we had those old uh, zincs, uh, the basins. And if there was some water droplets, you'd come and wipe them. Everything had to be in order. And I always said, oh, my God, I'm never going to be like you. I will never be like you. You're too uptight. You're not relaxed enough. Anyway, it turns out I'm exactly like her, even worse. I want the salt and pepper sellers a certain way. The condiments have to be facing a certain way. Tables and chairs pushed in in a certain way. I can just, you know, the detail's critical. You're serving food at the end of the day. Um, and people are coming in for experience, so it's got to be it's got to be on point. Not, not to say that we don't make mistakes, but we, we certainly strive for excellence, always. You're listening to The Alec Hogg Show from Biz News. How did we pick our franchisees? So in a lot of instances, the franchisees found us. Um, we've had, I think, two franchisee turnarounds. The rest have all been with us since we started. None of them have sold their restaurants, which I think is a good, a good sign. Uh, through family, friends, through uh, application forms and then interviewing. And I think a lot's got to do with synergy. So in some instances, we had guys who didn't have a lot of experience, but they had the heart. And then we trained them. Or some guys who did have the experience. Uh, and then they ticked all of the boxes. We've been really fortunate. I think yeah, we've had two franchisees who've come and gone in the 15 years that we've had Sasha's. The rest are all with us. Working in the stores or financial? Uh, both. So one of our conditions is that our franchisees are hands-on. Um, I think that's, again, critical. You know, a lot of people say, well, if a franchisee's got 10 million rand to invest in a restaurant – are they really then going to go and run the restaurants on a day-to-day basis? But it is one of our conditions. Um, and if they are not going to run it on a daily basis, they certainly have to have quite a big presence in their store with, with a GM that we, we approve. Yeah, I think buying into a Sasha's franchise is not just a business. It's a lifestyle. People don't buy it only because they're going to make money. They buy it because they enjoy the interaction with people. They love the product. They love the design. And it just fits into their, their way of, of being. Look at my franchisee in Morningside, George. I mean, he's he's been a franchisee for 15, 12 years. You know, Tasha's is part of his blood. Peter Otto, who bought Athol Square from me, who helped me start Tasha's in the in the early days. Peter owns Nickelway, Athol Square, and the Mark. I mean, he's part of Tasha's. It's, it's you know, it's part of his makeup. The best thing for you is to go, as you said earlier, is to go and have a look at another cookbook. But what, what yeah. else do you do for fun? Oh, I love swimming, so I, I love to do that. Uh, I like socializing. I go out quite a bit. Um, uh, in, in Dubai, I, I go and try a couple of, of, of all the new restaurants that open. Of course, I love spending time with my family and then reading, and sometimes I read a bit of Piffle as well. I've been on a break, so I've read about three or four nonsense books just to, to try and relax my mind. Um, but 90% of my time is spent working and, and, you know, I'm on, I'm on this break now, but I've, I've allocated from six in the morning till one every day. It's Zoom calls and work. It's what I love to do. And on the days when I have been a bit idle, I almost feel strange. Is it work though? Well, no, it's not really work. Not for me because first of all, I love interior design and I love beautiful things like most people do, but I really have a love for interiors. So I get to do that, and I work closely with the designers. I love people. So my staff, customers, it's, it's, it's part of who I am. I enjoy being social. And then clearly I love food and developing because that's also quite arty, um, and I love to eat food. So I get to do all the things that I love. It's just 
it happens to be work. It's not, it's not, you know, drudge. I don't have to like drag myself to work every day. No. Would you let your kids into the business? So I don't have kids. My brother's got two little boys. That is a very, very tough question. And I'll tell you why. It is all consuming. Um, you have to be able to sacrifice a lot. So, you know, I think one of the big regrets that I've got is that I didn't spend enough time with my mom and dad. Sadly, neither of them are, are with us. My dad saw, I think, four tushes. He's also in the food business, as you know. Um, and I lost my mom five years ago. She was like 62. And I didn't spend enough time with them. So would I encourage, if they loved it, of course I would, and I'd encourage my brother's kids to, to get in the, involved in the business. However, knowing that it is a massive sacrifice, it's all-consuming. If you want to be successful in the food industry, there's no – you can't do it half, half-heartedly. And even if you're going into quick service, if you look at the success of, of Nando's as an example, I mean, single protein and chips and a couple of other lines, and everyone's, oh, no, that's easy. But I promise you, Robbie sacrificed a lot to get where he is, and the Eindhoven's in London, whoever their team is, is also sacrificing a lot. So if you really love what you do, then go for it, but understand that it's not going to be an easy road. The food industry has got a lot of variables and a lot can go wrong and it is risky. And on a day to day management, uh, there's a lot of touch points that you've got to, you know, you're not selling just a single product, manufacturing something and then selling it and then it's gone. There's so many things that can go wrong, so many variables. So you also have to have the energy and the appetite as opposed to could be tenacious, boy. Is Nando still the, the benchmark certainly for quick service yeah i mean and what they've done in the uk is absolutely unbelievable i think they've done a sterling sterling job and i, I think as a culture you know i've been to their, their head offices robbie invited me one day and just the whole culture of the company is amazing so it's not only a business it's uh, they've got a great culture do you see much of robbie brosen uh, I used to when I was in SA a lot, and when I come back, I try and, and, and make a point of seeing him. He actually gave a talk at one of my franchise meetings, and I WhatsApped him the other day for something. So, yeah, we, we, we do stay in contact. That's interesting. So he's not preciously guarding his secrets. He's prepared to, having succeeded in his line, come and share his yeah. experiences. Is, is that is that typical in the industry? Sure. I'm not sure if it's typical. I'm certainly a sharer. You know, we during COVID started a thing called the Restaurant Collective, um, which we're going to start getting traction on again now. You know, we've sort of taken our foot off the pedal while we're allowing everyone to, to open their businesses. And that was a whole lot of information sharing. We put together COVID handbooks, training manuals, and then we just put it on the website for the Restaurant Collective and said, run with it. We, we lobbied government to open. We had thousands of meetings and we did that all for free. And Every piece of information that we had developed, we just changed it into a restaurant collective logo, and that's together with Grace Harding, and we work collaboratively together. She's actually running with it now because she's in South Africa. It's just a lot easier for her to do that. And everything that, that Ocean Basket developed and that Tasha's developed and Famous Brands was also quite quite heavily involved. We just gave it to every restaurateur that wanted the information. We need the industry to survive. They're sharers and they're takers. <laughs> it's quite oh, clear sure, sure. Uh, what, what side of the fence you're on. But you mentioned Grace, uh, Grace mm. Harding, who's also been very successful with Ocean Basket. Very. What about women in business generally? I don't want to get into a whole feministic argument because oh. you've broken through many, many uh, 
uh, obstacles. But is it more difficult being a woman in this sector? You know, I've been asked that question before, and I suppose because I've never thought about it, so I never went into a meeting thinking, oh, I'm a woman, I'm in this big corporate meeting and there's only men, or I'm negotiating with a landlord and there's only men, or... And I think if, if, if women could not have that preconceived weakness, and I'm not saying that there aren't inequalities, because there certainly are in terms of pay scale, in terms of a lot of things that happen in the industry, but you've already got a, a, a one-up if you cannot um, have that in your psyche. Um, and I suppose if you look at someone like Grace, being a woman also just was never a thing for her. You know, she just did what she did. She tried to do it well and, and put that out of her mind. I'm sure that there's been a lot of obstacles along the way. You know, I mean, I went to Dubai, my business partners, um, Arabic, in Dubai, male, male-dominated environments. But again, I didn't go to Dubai thinking, oh, my God, how am I going to do this because I'm a woman? Just sort of push that aside. And then you deal with the, with the situations as they come up. So what's in your future? So uh, quite aggressive growth plan for the Middle East. Uh, you know, we see a lot of opportunity there. And then the UK, I think now with a lot of restaurants sadly closing, I think there's going to be quite a bit of opportunity for, for growth in, in, in the UK. And then, you know, we get approached for sites in, I mean, we got approached the other day for a site in Monaco and we explored that quite, quite, quite extensively. Again, we'll be cautious. So we're just not going to go and open everywhere. And then the idea is to build a, a food group and start clip on some, some other brands, you know. Almost like a, a little Kevin Hedewick Mark II. Well, yeah, maybe. I hope so. He, he, he's fantastic. He's done really well. Yeah. But all of that takes money. And I guess when you have a look at it from the outside, you've just done a deal with famous brands. Yes. Uh, many families having done something like that would digest for some years. But you're not looking at that. You're looking to expand. Yeah, we are looking to expand. I mean, I, I certainly didn't buy the business to, to stand still. That doesn't mean we're going to just go about haphazardly just opening for the sake of opening. If you look at our growth, everyone says, wow, it's amazing. You've got 25 restaurants, but 25 restaurants in 15 years, it's not so fast. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's conservative. And I now just think that we're in a position to, to grow a little bit faster, provided that, that COVID settles down. But certainly we're looking at a lot of, of, of opportunities. And when I say, aggressively in the next six to nine months to have another couple of stores in the ground is definitely in the pipeline. Have you changed your mind on that? When we last spoke five years ago, a lot yeah. can happen in that time. You said you'd rather keep it small and keep it neat and keep it tight. No, so, so keep it neat and keep it tight in the country that you're going into. So again, South Africa, we've got 18 and we're not looking to open more in South Africa. If we develop a new brand, maybe that's a smaller format or something like that, we could potentially look at it. So if you look at South Africa, that's nice and neat, easy to control. We've got our franchise family. We're busy renovating our stores. We've renovated a few. We're doing another four renovations this year. We're renovating Hyde Park, Bitterview. We just finished Nickelway renovation and we're renovating Brooklyn. So just, you know, keep evolving, adding new menu items, keeping the team excited. Dubai, Abu Dhabi, we've got eight, probably potential to do another one or two and then stop. So we're certainly not talking about 100 in South Africa uh, or 40 in Dubai. And then, of course, the bigger the market, the more stores will open. You know, like the UK, can there be 40 touches? Sure, there can be 40. Um, but there but could not be 400. 
Certainly not 400. No, 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 no. So in each country, slow, considered, conservative growth, but a global, a global spread. And we know South Africa's coming out of a very difficult time. Lots of young people are saying, how am I going to make a living into the future? If they look at you as a role model, as many will, yeah. what would you pass on to them? Sure. I'd say just if you have a, have a dream is to be tenacious. Don't, don't, don't overthink too much of the business advice because had I listened to a lot of the business advice and business books, I probably wouldn't be where I am. There's certainly a business book doesn't tell you to go and get a loan from a loan shark. Which, which I needed to do for, for my first thought. Um, and I'm not, and I'm also not talking about behaving recklessly, but I certainly think, uh, hard work does pay off. I think we live in a time where young people want instant gratification. It's not going to happen. I've been at this for 20 odd years. So I would say work hard, put in the effort, stay focused. And if you're in the food business, don't try and be everything to everyone. You know, don't all of a sudden start trying to do sushi and putting curry on your menu and trying to do like just just stay focused in, in what you in what you're doing. Um, and then I think partner with the right people. Um, but I, I think it is a tough time in South Africa. Um, but I also think that we are resilient, and strong, and a lot of people throughout the years have always said, "Oh, it's the end of the road for South Africa. We're not going to be okay." And yet somehow we always make it out of out of out of our troubled and I mean t the birthplace of Tasha's is South Africa and it always will be we will always look after after the business always it's it's our it's our foundation and we need to keep it strong thanks for being with us for the Alec Hogg show subscribe on Spotify or Apple iTunes until the next time cheerio mm -hmm.